Good morning, Faith Church. How is everybody this morning? Good morning. Good. My name is Abby, and um, I am excited to welcome you all to worship with us this morning. If you are our guest this morning, um, we are doing some renovations downstairs. So the downstairs is closed off as far as the restrooms and everything. You can use the restrooms that are through this door. Men's restroom is the first uh, room on your left. Women are in that first hallway down on the left. And if you could please try to um, go if you think you're going to need to go during worship uh, so that there's minimal distractions when Pastor Charles is preaching, that would be great. But again, our downstairs is closed uh, due to renovations. That is wrapping up, and hopefully our kids will be back down there in the next few weeks. So I am very excited about that. Um, our first announcement for this morning is our Thanksgiving lunch is quickly approaching. That is two weeks from today. So November the 19th, we will all be gathering after the service in our fellowship hall. Um, we need people to cook turkeys and hams. So there are uh, cards on the connect wall in the back. Um, there's also cards for things other than turkeys and hams, but we really need help with the turkeys and hams. Those are bought by the church, provided to you. All you have to do is cook them and bring them. So if you are interested in cooking a uh, turkey or ham, grab one of those um, slips on the back wall, and you can fill that out and place it in the connect box at the sound booth. Um, so if you're interested in doing that, please take care of that today so they can get you your turkey or ham. Um, also, if you want to uh, sign up to bring something else, you can just grab a card for anything that's left back there, and you can hold on to that. So the only thing you need to turn in is if you were planning to cook a turkey or a ham with your name and information so they can get that to you. So that is um, about our Thanksgiving lunch. So we hope that everyone will join us. We'll have lots of food and a good time of fellowship, just um, thanking God for all that he's done for us throughout this year. Next thing is Operation Christmas Child. We have three, uh, sorry, two different dates um, where you have an opportunity to go to Operation Christmas Child. The first is November the 20th, and the second is December the 6th. Uh, November the 20th is a little more uh, exclusive. That's going to be for our men and our youth. So youth, um, you should be out of school that week, so it'll be okay that you get home a little later on a school night because um, you won't have school the next morning. So uh, youth, if you want to go on um, November the 20th, uh, sign up for that. There is a QR code in the bulletin. There's actually three QR codes. So pick the QR code that is specific for you, whether you're a man or a youth. Um, and then on December the 6th, that is open to anyone and everyone who would like to go. If you have not been to an Operation Christmas Child Processing Center, I highly recommend that you do that. It is just an eye-opening experience and just um, so fun to be a part of that ministry and blessing kids around the world who do not usually get to experience Christmas. So um, men, you can sign up with the QR code there, youth1120, and anyone else, December the 6th. Um, and those are in the bulletin. And please register. There are limited spaces, so we need to know if you are planning on coming. Also, men, if you are not receiving emails um, from the men's ministry group and you would like to, please um, reach out to Blake or Michael, um, Blake Dunlap or Michael Moore. They can get you on that um, email list, or you can sign up on a Connect card that you would like to be added to their email list. 
Um, we have our School of Kingdom Ministry, which is starting early next year. That is our big discipleship class. Um, and if you are looking to grow in your uh, faith and the gifts of the Spirit and so many other things, definitely going to want to check that out. You can see what the class is all about by going to the schoolofkingdomministry.org. So you can check out uh, that and get more information. Also, next week, immediately after the service, there will be um, our last informational meeting led by Pastor Charles. It'll last about 25 minutes. So if you're even slightly interested in um, the School of Kingdom ministry, please come to that and you'll get a lot more information and a lot of questions answered and um, have um, an opportunity to ask questions yourself. Last announcement is our faith followers. This Wednesday, they will be meeting at 6.30. That's our third through fifth graders. Um, so this is the last uh, regular faith followers of the year, believe it or not. Um, the one at the end of this month will be canceled due to Thanksgiving, and then we have our big Christmas party in December. So this is the last regular faith followers gathering this Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.45 upstairs here last hallway or um last room on the left of the upstairs hallway so that is all i have for you guys this morning i'm going to pass things over to pastor charles all right if you could stand <laughs> if you feel comfortable doing it i just want you to put your hands out in front of you say god I want you, everything you have for me this morning, not an ounce more, not an ounce less, would you speak, would you visit with me, would you show me your love, in Jesus' name. Now I pray, Father, that your, your goodness and your mercy and your grace would flood into our hearts as we sing and as we open your word. I pray that the Spirit would come now and begin to rest on each one of us, Father, that you would fill us to worship, that you would fill us to, uh, to engage with your word, that you would fill us to be exactly, exactly who you've created us to be this morning, Father that we would have an experience with you, Lord, that, that leads us into greater worship, into greater connection, into greater faith. Lord, let it be done for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Greater than 
All right, everybody catch your breath.
So when I found out I was leading this week, uh, you know, I usually cheat and I text Charles. I'm like, hey, what are you preaching on? He gave me a couple ideas. And uh, so I went to God and I'm like, what do you want? I didn't get nothing. So then I went to a little G, Google. But <laughs> 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 what, 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 what fits with uh, trusting in God? And the song Oceans came up. And I've only ever viewed Oceans as a story song. I've never really thought about it, you know, applying to us and, but if you read the lyrics, it's, it's all about trusting in God and trusting you're in a safe place, your boat, your house, whatever, and you're walking out in the storm to God. He's calling you there. You have to trust him. So um, this song hasn't been done in this church in a long time, but we're going to try it.
avenge me. I don't, I don't want to hear your voice if it's not going to push me. someone who, who is safe and comfortable within boats and boxes and church. Lord, would you really lead us where we have to have faith that's bigger than what we can imagine? Will you really lead us to these places where where it feels like we're drowning, where it feels, and you're there with the life preserver, you're there saying, immediately saying, walk, walk, walk. God, visit us in your holiness. Visit us in your goodness. Visit us in your power. So as we open your word, Lord, be with us. Speak to us, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing. Every week we do our 50 weeks in the word. As a church, we read one chapter every day. Uh, there's one verse that we memorize, and there's one Bible study that we go to on Wednesday nights. Is my PowerPoint not in there? That's okay for now. Uh, so we're in Acts 9.31. Um, uh, and if you want to open your Bibles, you can open your Bibles to Acts 9.31. If you want to look at it one last time. And if, you're, if you didn't memorize it, that's okay. Um, Cass, hold on one second. I'll tell you where you can find it, okay? Okay. Um, if, uh, so if, if you didn't sign up to memorize the verse or you're a guest with us, don't feel like uh, you're, you failed at something, you didn't do something correctly, uh, that this is only for people who signed up uh, at some point during the year. We have 80-some people who said we're going to read and memorize and do all of this. And if you just kind of want to jump in and, uh, and start memorizing with us as we come to the end of the year, just email me and I'll send you the verses that are coming up. So Acts 9.31 says this, so the church and all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 9.31, now you can have a seat. Where'd you go? Come on, I need to talk to you. Come on. <laughs> I trust young people with the codes to my computers and stuff, you know, it's... It's a good thing. Uh, and uh, just for the record, that's all my fault. He didn't do anything wrong. He's helping me out uh, by going back there, but I just forgot to put it in the, 
in the computer. Um, and then if you want, every week, I put my PowerPoint notes on the back wall. You can grab them there and follow along as they will be up in the screen. But we're in our second week in the book of Habakkuk. Um, and uh, we've titled the series, Wait and See, Lessons in Habakkuk. Um, I was thinking this morning about uh, when I grew up. And where I grew up, there was, uh, there was a creek. Some of you guys call it a crick. It's not a crick. It's a creek, all right? Uh, so um, I grew up uh, pretty close to a creek. We could easily ride our bikes. It was maybe uh, three quarters of a mile to a mile away from my house. And if you had asked me growing up how high are the sides of the creek, because it was, it was dry. There was very, very uh, little water in it ever unless we got big rains and then it would like flow in really fast and that was always fun. But it was always dry. And if you asked me when I was a kid, I would say they were 30 feet high. But then I went back as an adult and it was like 15, 12 to 15 feet high. And we would like ride our bikes from one side to the other. And over uh, the creek, somebody had put a, um, a rope swing. Right, tied it to one of the big oak branches going across. I don't know how they got up there, but they got up there and they tied it and the rope with the little board there. And we would just go on that all the time. Right? And, and you, would make, you would do steps up. You would just go across maybe holding it and swinging. And then if you got brave, you would sit on it and swing across and come back. And there was another tree on one side of the creek, and you could kind of climb up on it and jump and sit and swing and stand and do all of that. And it was awesome. It was a great part of my childhood. And uh, one day, one of my friends, I wasn't there this day, but one of my friends named Timmy Hernandez, right? Timmy went on the swing, and it broke as he was going across the creek. And he broke his leg. And so he's there like crying, writhing in pain, right? We're like fifth graders maybe, right? And he's crying in pain. And my other friends who were with him, one of them stayed with him, and a few of them ran up to his house, right? And this kind of tells you what kind of kids we were and the reputation we had because they went to his mom and they said, Tim fell and he's really hurt and he's crying. And she said, I don't believe you guys. And, I, and so that just shows you uh, how often we told the truth to our parents. But she finally was convinced, and Tim had to go back down there. And here's the thing. If I would have been there that day, I would have went on that swing. I would have trusted it. Why? Because I'd done it a hundred times before. And I would have jumped on, and I would have went, and um, I'm thinking it would have maybe carried me across. My metaphor breaks down a little bit here because the swing actually broke, but this is, this is kind of how we view God sometimes, right? Because you know what happened? The next week, there was another swing there, and you know what we did? We went and jumped on it. We didn't have any qualms about it, right? We didn't, we didn't uh, think, maybe this one's going to break too, Right, things, right, so my metaphor breaks down a little bit, but this is how we have to be with God, where we go on the swing and we trust on it to go the next time. His swing will never break. It'll always catch us and carry us. But we have to have this mentality that, yes, I might be fearful, I might, I might struggle with it, but I am going to go. I'm gonna swing across and I'm gonna trust that God's gonna bring me back. This is, this is where we are in this period of Habakkuk. And today we're going to talk about God's righteous judgment. 
And we're gonna be in Habakkuk 1. And last week we went through Habakkuk's complaints. And he says that he sees iniquity, destruction, violence, strife, contention, justice is perverted, wickedness swallows up the righteous. Right? He sees all of these things and it's happening within, the tri- within Judah. Within God's people, this is happening. And he's rightly angry at what he sees. He wants things to be different. He wants things to change. He's angry. And so now God comes and speaks to him in that. And I'm going to read uh, quite a few verses. I'm going to read from verse 5. And I'm going to go all the way to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what it says. God's answering. He says, look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, and then Habakkuk replies, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer than, uh, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make the mankind, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, he drags them out with his net, he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing, mercilessly killing the nations forever? I will take stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And I will answer concerning my complaint. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Just so I, I draw attention to it, if you're seeing it, just, I, I felt like God told me to take off my socks and shoes during the last song. And then I asked him if I can put them back on and I felt like he said no. So I'm preaching barefoot. So if this is one of your first few times, this, I'm not always barefoot. I'm not some... Well, I'm weird, but I'm not some, some <laughs> hippie that goes barefoot all the time. So I don't even know. See, so Habakkuk here, he, he's questioned God, and God, now God has come to answer him. We talked last week about how Habakkuk doesn't deal with pleasantries. He just jumps in and asks the big and difficult questions, and how God is okay with that. God doesn't stress about that. God doesn't rebuke him for asking the big questions. And what God actually tells him now is to step back and look because I have a bigger plan. You see, people naturally, we naturally put ourselves at the center of the universe. 
That's just kind of how we view the world, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not. And you can see this all over social media, right? Because people want to group themselves by like just ridiculous things. Okay, it's okay, I'm going to say this. If you've ever done this, don't be offended. It's okay, all right? You know, you know what hashtag like bothers me? What two, two hashtags that bother me? Like when somebody puts, they have a picture and it's a, a, a mom with their son and they hashtag boy mom. Or it's a dad with their girl and they're like, girl dad. Like, that's not special. Moms have been having boys since the Garden of Eden. And men have been having daughters since the Garden of Eden. But we, but we, we put these things, we want to so desperately put ourselves and, and put ourselves in these groups We desperately want this identity that makes us feel important. We do it with our jobs, right? I I, I never realized that this kind of stuff bothered me. You guys know I get frustrated pretty easily sometimes, but I didn't realize that this bothered me until I was driving behind this car. And this car had a bumper sticker or a, a decal on its windshield. And the decal was about, uh, uh, I'm not gonna say the occupation because it's kind of a, uh, niche occupation. It's not super uh, popular, so somebody might know the person who was driving it because it was just like right here on 64 by Food Lion. And, and, <laughs> and it said, like, wife of this occupation. Like, this, uh, this woman is finding her identity in what her husband does for a living. And I, I just found that odd and strange, and it actually hurt me a little bit inside. But we all have those places where we desperately want an identity that makes us matter. Like, I I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to amount to nothing. I don't want my life to just be stagnant and I do nothing ever for anyone. I hope you're in this boat where you're like, yes, I want this identity. I want to make a difference. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And so what we do is we wrongly put it in our children. Boy mom, girl dad. Life with Roman, right? Hashtag life with Roman. I'm gonna post some pictures and put that. Is that cool, buddy? Yeah. (laughs) We do it in our occupations. We do it in our relationships. We do all of these different things Because we want to group ourselves and we want to believe that we're important, but we are important because we are made in the image of God. We are important because Jesus died to save us. We have value because the creator of the universe sees fit to take up residence in us when we we make Jesus the Lord of our life. If If you desperately are seeking this identity, we find it in Jesus. Because the problem is, is if we focus on ourselves, then we might miss what God is really doing. This is what, this is what Habakkuk's doing. God, I see this and I see this. He says, I cry for help and you don't listen to me. I see violence. Destruction is before me. He sees, he's saying all of these things. And God ultimately has to tell him, hey, take a step back and then you'll see something great. And when we focus on ourselves, we miss the big picture. If we're looking at our navels, if we're being navel gazers and just looking within, within, within all the time, then we don't know what's going around us. So we don't know what God is doing. And then secondly, we might not know what the enemy's trying to do to us. 
And so we have to step back the way that, that Habakkuk has to step back. God answers him. He, he doesn't answer him and say, look, uh, Habakkuk says, all this is going wrong, all this is going wrong. And, and I love when God answers people because he never gives in to their fears. He never says, it's okay, Habakkuk. It's okay, feel your feelings. It's okay, go, go write in your journal. I write in a journal, so that's not, but like, go write in your journal, write your feelings down. He just says, no, uh, he says, look among the nations. Stop looking just at your little tribe. Stop looking at just your little place and look at all the nations. Look outside of your bubble, wonder, and be astonished. Do you want to miss God doing astonishing things? Because I don't. And the more I look within, the more I look at myself, the more I focus on my problems instead of looking at God. Like the song we sang, behold our God. Like not behold myself, not behold how great I am, but behold God who is seated on the throne right now. Right, We look at him, and the more we look at him, we'll see the astounding things he's doing. And this permeates our culture and our country, right? Everybody, if, if you talk to the average Christian, what, how do you think the church is doing? Oh, the church is going down really fast. We're losing people. The church, man, I don't know what's happening, but it's not good. See, the problem with that is now that 61% of Christians now live in the southern part of the world. only 39% live in westernized countries. If you think Christianity and the church is on decline, then you're just looking here and you're not looking among the nations like God tells Habakkuk to do because Africa and South America and China and these nations south of the equator now hold more of Christianity than the United States and England and Italy, and all these westernized places. Now, is that something that we should fight and war against and try to win people in those nations? Absolutely. But I think, I think, and I'm not an expert in this field, but I think that maybe it might be time to stop sending missionaries to Africa and send them to London and send them to Rome. I mean, look, look, I will gladly suffer in Rome for the sake of the gospel. Because I'm not gonna suffer like they did in the first century. I'm gonna suffer with pizza and pasta and... Look outside of yourself. Look outside of our little bubble and see what God is doing. And God tells Habakkuk to do this. He says, look outside, and he says, I'm going to do a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. You're going to hear it, and you're not even going to believe it. And the reason why Habakkuk will have trouble believing it is because it gets into a really gray area. What do you do when it gets into that gray area? We really want things black and white. Right and wrong, left, right, up, down. But man, there's a really gray area here because what God tells Habakkuk is that he is going to use evil people. 
to carry out his plans against disobedient Judah. Babylon, the Chaldeans, which is Babylon. Look, if you read in the Bible, there is the physical nation of Babylon, but Babylon is also everything. It encompasses everything that is against God from the beginning, right? Because Babylon starts at the Tower of Babel, right? And then it spreads out from there, and it it signifies and exemplifies everything everything against God's system. So when you read in Revelation about Babylon, it's not necessarily talking about a nation, but it's talking about systems set up to thwart God. And so God is using Babylon, a bitter and hasty nation. They march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Skips a couple verses and it says, their horses are swifter than Leopards more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. God starts telling them, they're like these beasts. And these beasts, these beasts strike fear in the hearts of men. Like we, we hear about a leopard and, you know, I don't really get all that scared. I, just, I, I don't. I was talking to a buddy of mine this last week, and he was telling me about how he went big game hunting in South Africa. And he was in the northern part of South Africa, and he's not at a resort. He's, he's a, just a step above tents, right? And he's out there, uh, and he has some guides there, and he wakes up one morning, and outside of his dwelling, there's these big paw prints, and he goes up to, the, to his guides and he says, what are these paw prints? And the guides tell him, they're leopards. But don't worry, they're not fresh. He's like, what do you mean not fresh? He's like, oh, they're like three hours old. <laughs> and he's like, that's pretty fresh when we're talking about a leopard. Right? It, so when we talk about leopards and these things that are swift to devour and horsemen, they don't really strike fear in us. But in somebody who lived right at that time, who is at the mercy sometimes of these elements and these beasts and these different things, it strikes fear in their hearts. And God here is striking fear in Habakkuk's heart. A fear that wants to call him back, but he's saying there's something to be feared here. He says, I'm going to use these people, and they're going to come, and they ransack everything. And I look, at, I look at this, and it doesn't seem like this would actually answer the question. It doesn't seem like this takes care of Habakkuk's complaints. It actually makes them worse. What is Habakkuk complaining about? I see violence. Babylon's more violent than Judah. I see contention and strife. Uh, A raiding, marauding nation coming in is going to cause more contention and strife. Why do you idly look at wrong, Habakkuk asks. There's going to be a lot of wrong things happening in this nation. And so this is not seeming like it's going to answer Habakkuk's complaint. It's going to make him worse. And so here's the question that we all have to wrestle with and and deal with. How do you feel about God using Babylon? Evil people to to put out his judgment 
on Judah. And do me a favor, while you think about that, get past the churchy answer. Well, God is sovereign, Charles. And you know, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, so you know, we shouldn't even think about this. That's what we're really saying sometimes when we do that. How do you feel about God using Babylon? Because man, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But God's doing it. And we'll answer that more in a little bit. But reading these passages, we need to really dig deep into the character of God and his will. Because if that's not foundational for us, then we can go to this side that says, why would God do that? He must be evil. If he's using it, he must be evil. He must be the author of all evil things. But that's not what the Bible tells us about the character of God. God is completely holy, just, righteous, and all his ways are perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So that needs to be the baseline of everything. So in some way, when we look at these these stories of, of God using Babylon, we know that he is doing what is righteous and just, even if we don't understand it. Tim, Tim Keller has a quote, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly, but Tim Keller has a quote that says, just because you don't see a reason for something doesn't mean there's not a reason for it. Because <laughs> Keller also says that if, if your God does everything that you like and only does what you like, then maybe you don't have a, the real God, but you have a God made in your own image instead of the other way around. Because God is also a God who brings judgment. I read through Deuteronomy uh, this past uh, week, week and a half, I, I read through Deuteronomy. And I, when I read, especially in the Old Testament, I just like to read big chunks. And I have time because it's kind of my job. So I can just sit and read 25 chapters of Deuteronomy at once. And I get to see the themes. And there's these themes that run throughout all of Deuteronomy. And he says, look, when you get into the land, and he always tells them something, like when you get into the land flowing with milk and honey, And he tells them, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build, and you're going to eat from fruit trees that you didn't plant, and you're going to drink wine from vineyards that you never tended, and it's going to be great and awesome. Then he says, but if you don't stay faithful, you will face my judgment. If you start worshiping other idols, if you start uh, if you start pursuing these other gods, if you start worshiping these pagan gods, these, if you send your kids through the fire, if you do all of these things, he tells them, you have no right to the land anymore. Right? So if we think about current events, here's, here's what I'm going to say is biblical. Israel only has a spiritual tie to the land when it's in obedience to God. Because in, you can look, Leviticus 18, it says that if you, don't, if you don't follow the Lord your God, I will vomit you out of the land, like I vomited you out of the land, uh, the, the, the nations before you. Now, 
That's not to say that I agree with what's going on in Israel, that I'm on Hamas's side. None of that. None of that. I wasn't making a political statement. I was making a biblical statement. That Israel's claim to the land is on their obedience, and it's showing here. Because sometimes God brings his judgment passively. That's Romans 1. I rebel, I rebel, I rebel. God says, fine, have it your way. And that way leads to death. And then there's sometimes there's this direct, there's this direct judgment. And so God's gonna use this nation to wake up Judah. He's gonna bring in outside forces so they actually turn back and see, okay, God, if this nation can come against us, if this nation can kill us and harm us and take us into slavery, then we have to turn back to you. We have to get right with you so we, in, so we can continue to inherit all the promises that you've made on this land. And God is bringing judgment consistently throughout the Old Testament because Israel is consistently not doing what they should. But here's what we have to understand. When we have trouble with it, when we struggle with it, when we don't know what to do with it, God does the exact same thing with Jesus. The exact same thing. He uses an unjust empire and evil Jewish religious leaders to crucify Jesus. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't, Jesus gives himself up willingly for sure, but he gives himself willingly over to Babylon, to Rome. He gives himself over to an evil empire that is being spurred on by evil men, Pharisees and Sadducees who have been plotting to kill him. This is what he does. And at the most climactic few days of all of history, Jesus willingly gives up his life to an unjust court. He knew, he knew the deck was stacked against him. He knew it was rigged. He knew all that. But he still said, I will put myself in the hands of these evil men so that God's ultimate purposes can be fulfilled. And here's the thing. When we look at it in Habakkuk, and we might have a problem with it, here's what you have to understand. In Habakkuk, God is punishing Judah for their own disobedience. At the cross, Jesus is punished for our disobedience. He's not punished because he was sinful. He's not punished because he was disobedient. He is being punished because you're disobedient, because I'm disobedient, because I've strayed and I've wandered like a sheep lost without a shepherd. And to bring us back into the fold, Jesus says, I will willingly give myself up. That's at the heart of the Gospels. So when we look at God in the Old Testament and we say, that's not fair, that's not right, then we have to look at the cross and say, that's not fair, and that's not right. But it shows us his deep, abiding love for us. And every time you walk away, the cross is still there. And every time we turn our backs, Jesus is still there saying, it's okay, come back, come back. Look, I trust, when I read the book of Habakkuk, I trust I trust that what God is doing with Babylon is fair and just because I can look at the cross. Because I know that he did not spare his son, even his only son. So when it gets gray, we get to look at the cross because Habakkuk really says what we're all thinking. How can you do this? You're holy. 
We're not going to die. It's calling on these promises of the great nation. But I love how he addresses him. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? This is personal to Habakkuk. It's personal. He's not talking to to the God of Judah. He's not talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, he is, but he's talking to my God. My God. How could you do that? They're worse than us. You can't look at evil. Your eyes are so pure that you can't even look at evil. And part of me, like, I feel a little bit sorry for Habakkuk because when we ask these questions, we can ask those questions with the cross in mind. We can look at the ultimate display of God's, uh, God's uh, what we would say, unfair justice on Jesus and say, okay, I trust you. If you're willing to put your son through this, if you're willing for him to be killed, if you're willing for him to be tortured, if you're willing for him to do that, then I can trust that you love me. And Habakkuk goes through and he keeps telling them, man, God, he keeps telling God, they're really bad. They're like fish. They pull fish out. They drag nets. They just kill everybody. They destroy everything. And I love Habakkuk's response. Because you know what? In this pursuit of justice, in the pursuit of what we want God to do for us, in the pursuit of how we want the spirit to move in us, sometimes we wait. And we are very unaccustomed to waiting. If you go to the DMV in Statesville, (laughs) chill out. I haven't even got to the punchline yet. Just chill out. If you go to the DMV in Statesville, say you're on a good day. No appointment. You have an hour, hour and a half wait. I would rather drive from my house 30 minutes to the Moxville DMV not wait in line, and drive 30 minutes back. Even though it's probably about the same time if I would have just went to Statesville and waited. Right, with all the driving, right? it's, it's not that much of a difference. But I don't, I don't want to wait. Have you ever been caught in traffic and the traffic's come to a standstill? Do this all the time. If traffic's come to a standstill, you pick out your, uh, your little G Google. I love that because uh, I think it's truer than we know. Um, <laughs> Little G, Google, and you hit the maps, right? And it says, well, you can go off on the side roads, but it's going to be four minutes slower. And I'll look over at my wife, and I said, would you rather stay in traffic and get there five minutes slower, or would you rather go to the side streets where we don't have traffic and get there later? And she says, go to the side streets, because we don't want to wait. We're so, un- and I mean, we even have our phones. I remember having to wait as a kid for my food. Right? After we order, if we go out to lunch somewhere, my kids will say, well, can I use your phone until the meal comes? And usually because I want to have a conversation with my wife or whoever I'm having lunch with, I'm like, yes, just be quiet. Leave me alone. Right? When I was a kid, maybe we got to color. Maybe. You know what my dad always did? He would, like, bring out the sugar packets, and he'd, like, do math problems with us. Gosh, that was horrible. But we do not like to wait. 
We just don't. We live in a, in a give-it-to-me-now society. Kids don't know what it's like to have to watch TV when the show actually comes on and then wait a week until the next episode comes out. But here's what I, uh, Habakkuk says. I'll take my stand at my watch post and I'll station myself on the tower and I'll look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He says, God, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to watch for it. If you're going to do this, I trust you. I don't understand it, but I'll trust you. While he's waiting, he's not just going to sit idly by, woe is me, I'm not going to do anything. You know what we do? Isaiah's, or I, I always want to call him Isaiah. Habakkuk is stepping back and he keeps saying, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. And what do we do? We, we, we start jumping into action. Or we start busying ourselves with trivial things, complaining, telling everybody about our problems, and just giving up because that's all easier than waiting. And while Habakkuk's waiting, you know what? He still has to watch all the violence. He still has to see all the strife. He still has to see all the iniquity. He still has to see all the bad people getting all the good stuff. Us, we, we'll, just, we'll distract ourselves. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to take our mind off of it. But sometimes we wait. You guys know how I feel about North Carolina Mexican food. Okay, I'm from California. We know how to do Mexican food. North Carolina does not. <laughs> All right, now, uh, if, you tell, if somebody were to invite me to Mexican food to any restaurant, I'd be like, I, can, I know one thing at every Mexican restaurant in Statesville that, that, I can, that I can eat and be somewhat satisfied with it. But when me and my wife, when we fly back to California, we usually fly into San Francisco. And there's a place in San Francisco that if you go, you get the best burrito you will ever eat. And so I will go there and I will happily wait 30 minutes in their line. I will happily, I don't like waiting. I will happily wait because I know that when I take that foil off the burrito and I bite into it, I always said it'll be like meeting an old friend it will be like saying hello to family I haven't seen in a while, right? Because it's just worth the wait. And God's much better than a burrito, but get the analogy. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. There might be things that you're waiting for, there might be things that you're believing God for. There might be things that you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But you will fear no evil because you know that walking out of the valley means that you get onto a mountaintop, that you get out of the low place. You might be in those low places struggling with those difficult things. And you're saying, "Law, oh Lord, how long must I wait? The cries of the prophets of the Old Testament, oh Lord, how long must we wait? 
Take heart because the Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all those who wait for him. Sometimes we wait. And the Lord's in you with, uh, with you in the waiting. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He's waiting along with you. Psalm 33, 20 to 22 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope from you. The love of God, his steadfast love waits upon you, is upon you as you wait. Look, sometimes we have to wait and waiting is not laziness, retreat, or disobedience. Because there are times where God just says, wait. And sometimes, especially those who are, who are go-getters, who never stop moving, who always have to be accomplishing something and doing something and on the grind and all these other things that we say to make it okay, we think that being that waiting and just stopping and being with God is laziness, but it's not. It's exactly what our soul needs. And, and when we wait, we're not going into retreat. We're not running away from the enemy. And it's not disobedience. Now, if he tells you to stop waiting and to do something, then it's disobedience. But if he's telling you just to wait, it's not disobedience. And what we get from these verses, and look, I didn't even put the most famous waiting verse in all the Old Testament, right? The one that you have on coffee cups and on signs in your house. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up like wings on eagles. They shall run and they won't grow weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And even now as I recite that, I can hear the voice of the, the, the pastor's wife that I grew up with singing that song. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Because when we wait, he's there with us. As we wait, God wants us to seek after him, to trust him, and to feel his love. He's not letting us wait out in a desert where his presence isn't there. He's not abandoning us but he's there and he wants us to just pursue him in that, to keep in his word, to keep having conversations with him, to keep fellowshipping, to keep doing all of these things that bring us life. He wants us to keep doing all of them, to trust him in the waiting and to feel his love. You have to understand that, that you can feel the love of God it's not some abstract con, uh, concept that's way out here in some 
spiritually floaty place, but you can feel the love of God. Therefore, let anyone who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if we're in that place where maybe you feel like you're suffering or maybe there's difficulty and you're waiting and you don't know what to do with it, Peter says, look, when we're in those places, we entrust our souls to the faithful creator while we're still doing good, while we're still walking it out, even when we're struggling, even when we're suffering, even when we don't think that we can keep going on, while we're, while we're waiting, while we're suffering, God says, you have entrusted your soul to me, the faithful creator, so keep walking, keep going, keep doing good. So if you're in that place where you're saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know the next step to take. Don't be paralyzed. Keep walking. We have to, we have to get out of this concept that we always have to be accomplishing something for God. Because sometimes the thing that you need to accomplish is deeper intimacy. Sometimes the thing that you need to accomplish is knowing and loving Jesus more. Sometimes the thing that you need to accomplish is to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You can only do that if you're quiet. How do I want us to think as we leave this morning? First, I want you to look to the cross. If you're here this morning and you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to have eternal life that begins now, to live under his rule and authority now, we look to the cross for that that salvation, that place where Jesus took our sins and our transgressions and our iniquities. It was laid all on him. He was punished for our peace. We look to the cross, and even those of us who are saved, we continually look to the cross when we feel lost, when we feel hurting, when we feel broken, because still at that cross, he won the victory. God disarmed all the rulers and authorities, so when we feel struggling, burnt out, we look to the cross and say, there it is. There's the beacon that I need. And where are you waiting for God right now? I think all of us have somewhere. And some right now, it's just, it's something small. It's not, it's not a big deal, but some of you guys, you've been waiting for years, for years for something. And what I hope, I hope that, that I've given you a framework with learning how to wait on God faithfully and truly. We look to the cross, we keep living our lives, but we just say, okay, God, now, now, when, huh? And then finally, what will you do while you're waiting? What will you do? Will you give up? Will you abandon hope? It's not the message of the cross or the gospel, right? Or will you keep going forward? 
Will you keep moving? Will you keep pressing? Will you pursue him even more? Some of you have been waiting and your waiting has turned into retreat. Your waiting's turned into disobedience. It's turned into to turning your back. And this morning God says, keep waiting, but keep following. Keep waiting, keep following. Stand with me, please. Lord, Father, I want, I, I want to live my life by the tenets of Jesus. That I want to do what the Father's doing. I want to know what the Father's doing and walk in it. I want to. I don't want to do anything on my own. So, Lord, to each one of us in that wherever we're at, Lord, if we're and we've been in a a period of longing, waiting for something for a very long time. Maybe we've lost hope. Maybe we've given up. Lord, you are the God who restores hope that sorrows last for the night, but joy comes in the morning, that you're preparing us for a weight of glory, that all of these things are true, Father. So for the ones here this morning who feel like they've been waiting too long and have just really just fallen from where you want them to be, Lord, restore their hearts and minds even as I speak this morning, Lord. Restore their hearts and minds. Give them, give them a vision, Father, of what waiting on you, of what pursuing you in the waiting looks like and what it means, Father, and what it can bring. Give them, Lord, something to hold on to as they struggle and as they wrestle. Father, renew hope this morning. Renew hope in our lives. Renew hope in our minds. Renew hope. Renew hope. Thank you, Jesus.
for a little bit. The altar's open. When somebody comes to the altar, it's just for you to do business with God by yourself. And if you want prayer, we have Stephanie and Lloyd on the ministry team this morning. If there's anybody, uh, so occasionally um, we'll have people ask, God, is there anything that you want to heal this morning? If anybody's suffering from fibromyalgia, come see uh, Stephanie and Lloyd to be prayed for because just kind of sense that maybe God might be doing something there. Uh, I've said it the last couple weeks, but I'm not doing any um, public prayer with anybody um, for the next couple months. Um, thing between me and God. So if you come and ask for me for prayer, I'm going to say no. doesn't mean I don't love you uh, and don't want you to get prayer, but I'll just direct you over to the ministry team. And, um, and ask God, man, I'm really feeling this, this people, God's wanting to speak to people who felt like they've lost hope. So if you're in that place, you're in that place, know that God wants to restore that this morning as you pursue Him. Father, I thank you that you call yourself the God of hope. Restore us in our waiting. Lead us in the struggle in Jesus' name. i
our souls to you who sits upon the throne, majestic, powerful, beautiful, full of glory and honor and power. Jesus, we thank you for opening the, the curtain, for letting us walk through your body and your blood to come into the presence of God. So Spirit, lead us and guide us as we leave from here this morning. You are so good to us, and we thank you. Renew our hope. Renew our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless. We'll see you soon.